Welcome back to another episode of Diagnosing a Killer, the Mental Breakdown Edition. Mental Breaking. find myself like not knowing what to say like right after we introduce it and then I was thinking the other day I was like well yeah we've done it like almost a hundred freaking times yeah. so it makes sense that we would run out of things to say at some point. Did you realize that Bundy was our 50th episode? 50th. Case. Yeah 50th case. Because, not even mental breakdown. Yeah and we've done you know two potas and everything too mm-hmm. but I think we're like right at 100 episodes total. That's amazing. Let me check actually because I'm curious. You know we're coming up on our two-year anniversary soon? Yes we are. August 31st, I think, right? August 31st, 2021 is when we first started. So, yes. So, that that weekend that we'll be out of town in Austin will be, like, our two-year anniversary celebration. Oh, my God. It's going to be so cool. And we get to celebrate with you guys. That's so exciting. So excited. So, this one will actually be our 97th episode total, which is crazy. Well, that's not including the Patreon bonus episodes. So, So we're technically at 100. Technically at 100. (laughs) Gosh, it's been a... Right at almost. It's been a whirlwind. Domor will be 100. Yeah, so if you don't know, this is your first time listening. My name is Kenna. I don't even think I said that yet. I'm Koel. And we do what we call the Mental Breakdown Mondays, which is happening today. And that is something that we break down, whether it's a mental disorder or a specific interesting event or a specific theory or anything. We just think this is super interesting. We kind Mm -hmm. of break that down for you guys. And then on Thursdays, we do True Crime Thursdays, where we bring you a case. This week, it is going to be part two of Ted Bundy. And it's been a doozy and a half to research. Mm -hmm. But we also do have an additional bonus episode for our tier two and three Patreons. That is going to be Jeffrey Dahmer and Kowell is going to be ringing this month. They come out on the 29th of each month, again, for just tier two and three patrons. If you'd like to support us that way, that is awesome. Our tier one patrons also get ad-free episodes as well. Yes. And that tier two and tier three bonus episodes don't have any ads or any content warning. You know what you're getting into, hopefully, by that point when you hear names like Dahmer or Albert Fish. So, no content warning. We just get right to the nitty-gritty. I am beyond, like, comprehension of the shit that I'm reading about Dahmer. Yeah, it's wild. They have, I mean, I have the FBI reports. It is. Ugh, it's a lot. It's It's going to be a great episode. And that's going to be the same day that Ted Ted 2 comes out. Ted (laughs) Ted Bundy 2 Part 2 comes out. So, (laughs) be looking forward to those. But like we said, today is a Mental Breakdown Monday. But before I do get into my Mental Breakdown, do you want to share our handles with everyone? Sure. You can hit us up at diagnosingikiller.com. There you will find links to merch and resources and much, much more. Our merch goes through Redbubble, so you can also catch us on Redbubble, theoretically. Uh, Any of our social media handles are going to be at diagnosingikiller other than Twitter, which is at killerdiagnosis. You can email us at diagnosingakiller at gmail.com. Yes. Patrons, patrons, Patreon, all that good stuff. Yeah. And live, laugh, lurk, uh, buy mm-hmm. some merch, and yeah. give us a review and a rating. That'd be awesome. We'd love to hear from you guys. Please send us an email. I would love to hear from you guys, especially if you're in, like, Australia or New Zealand. I say that all the time. All the time. <laughs> she really wants a voice message. That's I what want she wants. <laughs> a voice memo, for sure. <laughs> But yeah, thank you guys for joining us for yet another mental breakdown. Are you ready to get into it? Yes, let's do it. Okay. So excited. So today we are going to be talking about Lokard's exchange principle. <gasps> Ooh. Or 
probably pronounced differently because he's it's, French. It's low cards. It's yeah. low cards. Okay, mm-hmm. low cards exchange principle. Hell yeah. I feel like we've kind of peppered this in this here and there, but yeah. I didn't really know like exactly what it entailed. So I was really excited to start researching it and super interesting. This is going to be cool. I'm yeah. excited. So in forensic science, which listeners, as you know, Coel and I are both very interested in studying, mm-hmm. Locard's principle states that the perpetrator of a crime will bring something into the crime and leave with something from it, and that both can be used as forensic evidence. Yes. So again, Locard's exchange principle is the full name. I just kind of cut out the exchange part there. <laughs> so Dr. Edmund Locard was born on December 13th, 1877 Aww. in Saint-Chamond, France. And again, I'm probably going to butcher all of these French pronunciations, so I'll apologize to our French listeners. Some records actually indicate that he was born in 1872, but he was definitely in France, so <laughs> don't Either know way. exactly which one. <laughs> he would go on to study medicine and law at Lyon, France, and eventually would become the assistant of Alexander Lassage. I think that's how you say it. Or Lacassange. Something like that. <laughs> something way Lacassange. different than I said. Yeah. Um, he was a criminologist and professor, so he would become this man's assistant. Okay. Edmund would hold this title until 1910, when he began the foundation of his own criminal laboratory. His lab in Lyon was actually the first forensic lab in Europe. <gasps> I know, super interesting. I right? want to go. I know, same. In 1910, Edmund would also persuade the police department of Lyon to give him two attic rooms and two assistants in order to start the first police forensic laboratory. <gasps> So he's, like, really big deal on the forensic science so community. So cool. He would actually become known as the Sherlock Holmes of Lyon, France, mm-hmm. and he would come up with this principle of exchange in 1920. Wow. So literally 100 years ago. Right? Yeah. 100 years ago? Yeah. <laughs> he formulated the basic principle of forensic science as, quote, every contact leaves a trace, mm-hmm. end quote. And this is usually understood as, quote, with contact between two items, there will be an exchange. Yeah. Think of it as like a paint transfer when you get in like a car accident. Kind yeah. of the same thing. So, Paul L. Kirk, a biochemist and chemist. A biochemist and chemist. He was both. <laughs> Not just a <laughs> he, chemist. He well, yes. He specialized in microscopy. Okay. Micro- microscopy? Is that yeah, how you, microscopy. Yeah, microscopy. Microscopy. Mic- Microscopy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. He would later describe... <laughs> just reminded me of, uh, better keep my fingers crossed, Freddy. Cameron used to love Freddy Got Fingered. It was oh, so funny. Yeah. I haven't seen that movie in a very long time. So, again, this um, biochemist and chemist that studied in microscopy, I can't even say it, Paul Kirk, would later describe the exchange principle as follows. Quote, wherever he steps, wherever he touches, wherever he leaves even unconsciously, will serve as a silent witness against him. Not only his fingerprints or footprints, but his hair, the fibers from his clothes, the glass he breaks, the tool mark he leaves, the paint he scratches, the blood or semen he deposits or collects. All of these and more bear mute witness against him. This is evidence that does not forget. It is not confused by the excitement of the moment. It is not absent because human witnesses are. It is factual evidence. Physical evidence cannot be wrong. It cannot perjure itself. It cannot be wholly absent. Only human failure to find it, study it, and understand it can diminish its value. End quote. <laughs> can I get that tattooed? That That's is fucking so boss. Cool, right? That is like fucking boss. And it's so true. Yeah. He's like essentially saying, like, anybody that commits a crime, like, I'm gonna fucking figure it out. Yeah. Like, you're fucked. It's not impossible. It's not impossible. If anything, it's possible. It's human error. It's, that's it's human the reason. Error. Yeah. Like, the evidence does not lie. 
That's fucking awesome. I know. It's just like, it's like, you can't argue with that. Yeah. Like everything he said is completely true. It's so cool. So just to kind of break it down a little bit and just to get into more of detail what we're talking about, when a crime is committed, fragmentary or trace evidence needs to be collected from the scene. This is any type of material left or taken from a crime scene or the result of contact between two surfaces, such as shoes and the floor or fibers exchanged from one garment touching another. A team of technicians will approach a crime scene and seal it off in order to avoid cross-contamination. Excuse me. They will then record video and photos of the scene, victims if there are any present, and items of evidence. If necessary, they will also record ballistics examinations, like gunshot residue. They check for foot, shoe, and tire mark impressions, plus hair and fingerprints that may have been left over. Due to all of these tedious things being taken from the ideas of one man in the past, Dr. Edmund Lockard, he's considered to be the father of modern forensic science. That's so cool. He probably felt like such a badass. He is a badass. He (laughs) He deserves it all. (laughs) His exchange principle is the basis of all forensic work today. In November of 2012, he was actually nominated to the French Forensic Science Hall of Fame, even though he would ultimately pass away in 1966. Mm. He was almost 100, though. He was, like, 90. That's amazing. Before the 19th century, most of the time in court and during an investigation, witness testimonies were favored as opposed to evidence. Most investigators would actually refuse to perform invasive procedures on the deceased due to either emotional respect, squeamishness, and sometimes even superstitions. Mm -hmm. This resulted in little to no evidence to collect and poor solve rate of crimes. With the addition of science into criminal investigations, things began to change. Featured in Vogue, Forbes, and more, Alariz has the most beautiful and expertly crafted diamond jewelry for that special someone in your life. From engagement rings, pendants, and earrings, you're sure to find the perfect gift that expresses exactly how you feel. Click the link in the show notes to receive $10 off all orders plus free shipping. Alariz. Fitting all your jewelry needs from A to Z. The first known use of science and logic for a crime investigation was done by Alphonse Bertillon in the late 1800s. He would develop what would become known as Bertillonage, which is a procedure in which body measurements and other physical characteristics were recorded Hmm. after a crime. This information was then placed on a single ID card and put into the filing system whichever kind of filing system they had back in the 1800s. It's probably like one of those, I imagine it's one of those like library checkout ones. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So prior to the use of fingerprint recognition, this was actually the most used system when it came to tracking and identifying criminals. Apart from body measurement, Bertillon was also responsible for the development of photos for criminal IDs. Hmm. It would be Bertillon's contribution to the forensic sciences that influenced Dr. Locard, who would also go on to work as a medical examiner during World War I. Ooh. Okay, this is where it's going to be a French quote. Okay. So I'm going to try my damnedest to say this correctly. I'll also say it in English. Good luck. <laughs> so, similarly to Alfonso Bertillon, or Alphonse Bertillon, Edmund advocated for the use of science in criminal investigations. According to him, Go quote, ahead. You can do it. Il est impossible au malfaiteur de agravec. Why do you sound German? I can't do it. Quote, Intenste que sapos il action criminale sans lacier destrasis de son passage. That's like Spanish mixed with German mixed with French. That's how you said it. End quote. That's all it was an end quote before. <laughs> end quote. 
so this loosely translates to in English, quote, it is impossible for a criminal to act, especially considering the intensity of a crime, without leaving traces of his presence. So I thought I'd, you know, job. make y'all laugh a little bit. That's great. I like that. You should do that more often. Oh, God. <laughs> he would go on to test this principle of exchange during many of his investigations. Again, Edmund. In 1930, he would publish three papers in the American Journal of Police Science, which are now collectively known as Locard's Theory of Exchange. Another significant contribution by Edmund involved, I think it's dactylography, which is an area of studying involving fingerprints. He developed poroscopy, which is the study of fingerprint pores and impressions produced by them. So we're going to talk about a couple of cases where the exchange theory, like, was at work. Okay. So one of the most infamous cases demonstrating how his theory is applied came in 1912 when police were investigating the death of a French woman named Marie Latelle. They were questioning her boyfriend, Emile Gorbin, and he claimed that he was playing cards with his friends at the time of her death. When police questioned the friends, they affirmed his claim. Further investigation into the body determined that Marie had been strangled, and police would actually get fingernail scrapings underneath Emile's fingernails to look for skin cell samples. Mm. Upon a closer look under the microscope, a pink dust was found in the cell samples from collected from Edmund, hmm. from the boyfriend. Yeah. By Edmund, excuse me. He figured that it must have been makeup, and although popular at the time, makeup was not very widely manufactured, so he was able to kind of narrow down where it came from. Yeah. So after searching further, he actually found the same chemist that had made a custom powder for Marie, mm. and the match was made. Whoa. In 1912. Yeah. That's amazing. So with all evidence against him, Emile would ultimately confess to murder, and he actually tricked his friends into believing his alibi. So he was like, I don't know how he kind of said, like, maybe he said a lie for me, or maybe he, like... He's like, yeah, I was there. I wasn't there at 6 or I was there at 6. Exactly. Was there at six, that kind of was like, thing. yeah, maybe it was 6. I didn't look, but yeah. So this is one <laughs> of the many cases in which Locard's exchange principle had changed the outcome of a case, of course, with the finding of the makeup. Yeah, and apparently, you know, there was witnesses or whatever to him having an alibi. Exactly. And so that's interesting that it just completely... It's like, no, the science doesn't lie. It. Yeah. He had the makeup under his nails. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So another case is the case of the Weimer children. So Carola and Melanie Weimer, age five and seven, were living with their parents, Reinhard and Monica, in Germany when they were reported missing on August 4th, 1986. Their bodies would ultimately be found three days later on August 7th when the police had also realized that they had been victims of murder. Mm -hmm. Monica stated that the children had eaten breakfast that morning and then went to a playground. She would later change her statement and say that the kids were already deceased when she returned home the previous night, stating that Reinhard, her husband, was sitting on the edge of Carola's bed, crying and confused, and then he disposed of the bodies. So, differing statements, Totally different, totally different statement. Both of the parents were suspected at first, but Monica was also known to have been having an affair, and she was also seen with this gentleman where Melanie's body was later found. Hmm. So, again, eyewitness testimonies. She was actually convicted of the murder, and after serving her uh, murders, excuse me, and after serving her sentence, she was released in 2006. Investigators were able to determine what clothes Monica was wearing on the day her daughters went missing, but not her husband. Fibers from multiple different sources were able to later be used and compared in order to convict the father as well. Whoa! So again, 
that's that exchange, like, his fibers on their clothes or vice versa. I think there was also some, like, linens from, like, the bed that had been exchanged mm-hmm. as well. I didn't really go into, like, super detail with these cases, obviously, because there's yeah. a couple. But, yeah, that's that case. Interesting. And lastly, the case of Danielle Van Dam, seven years old. She lived with her parents and brother in uh, San Diego, California, when she was reported missing on February 2nd, 2002. Her body would be discovered discovered on February 27th, the victim of a homicide. Her neighbor, David Westerfield, was almost immediately suspected, and he would later be convicted of her kidnapping after hair fibers from her dogs were actually found in his RV, resulting in his guilt being evident. Yeah. So just a few examples of the exchange principle at work. Obviously, her... The fibers were exchanged from her clothing to his RV because she had played with her dogs in the past. Yeah. So I don't know. I just think that's kind of interesting. It is really interesting. Especially the fingernail one. Some of the some of those cases, though, it can just be like circumstantial. It doesn't yeah. really. I mean, that's where we later come to the word circumstantial evidence. Yeah, exactly. Because he could have just given her a ride. Didn't yeah. Didn't necessarily mean that he harmed her. Or same thing with the parents, right? The fibers were found. Well, if they live in the same house, then yeah. that might not be unusual. Exactly. And again, there's way more detail about these, these cases, sure, but yeah. I just kind of wanted to pepper them yeah. in there. But speaking specifically on the exchange, not necessarily about somebody's guilt, right? Yeah, but talking exactly. specifically about the exchange. That's really interesting. So Lokard's principle also holds up in computer forensics, where committing cybercrime will result in a digital trace being left behind. Mm-hmm. So like every theory, there are some drawbacks of the Lokard exchange principle. One of the biggest lies in dynamics. So this refers to the alteration of physical evidence before it's been examined by investigators. So there's many factors that can lead to the tampering and destruction of evidence, such as staging by the perpetrator, secondary transfer of evidence, actions of the victim before the crime, witness actions, natural factors, such as like animal activity or weather, Mm -hmm. and actions of police. If they didn't get there in time or if they walked through the crime scene, that's why they secured the crime scene, of course. These factors can lead to the removal or destruction of the evidence, and they can often mislead investigators, causing problems with crime reconstruction. Lokert's exchange principle is used in forensic science every single day, and that's literally all I have. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I know it's going to be a short one, but I wanted to no, talk about it. It's and, really interesting stuff, and, you know, we might, I think we've only talked about it maybe once or twice or mentioned it, yeah. but never went into detail about what it is. I don't think a lot of people know that term Mm -hmm. and i think it's really interesting to to know that term especially if you're true crime junkies like we are yeah so yeah low cards exchange principle i think maybe from here on out we can maybe kind of pinpoint like if and when that's used in like a future case we can bring it back up and then people will know exactly what we're talking about because of this episode i love that yeah i just thought it was an interesting thing to kind of get more in detail of there's plenty of other examples of like when it was used but i thought that was kind of cool like those specific instances like Mm -hmm. especially the boyfriend with the nails it was like that was what cracked the case right so yeah like oj's glove yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, he like left, that. left one at the scene and then left one in his backyard or something. Yeah, exactly. It's it like, how do you have... Like, remember, like, what was it? Um, BTK left, like, a knife by their... Like, where he <laughs> used to he cut their telephone cell phone or something? Yeah, it's, it's like, <laughs> you, that idiot. was the first thing you did when you got there and yeah. you left your knife. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Cut the phone cord and left the fucking pliers. Yeah, seriously. So funny. Anyway, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I, I like it. I, I I do enjoy that, and I like your suggestion of using that going forward. I think that'll be really fun. Yeah, that would be really fun. Yeah. You guys definitely get your tickets for the True Crime and Paranormal Podcast Festival. That is August 25th through the 27th in Austin, Texas. We mm-hmm. do have a discount code on our website, 15% off if you go through our website and you use our, uh, what's it called, code, D-A-K-P-O-D. Yeah, coupon code. Yeah. 
And if you guys would like to donate to the Patreon, again, just to remind everybody, that does help us maintain the website, of course, get some new merch items coming out, maintain mm-hmm. even the hosting website where we post our podcast. So. Yeah, so we can get to all those platforms for you guys, for exactly. sure. Exactly. So we, we definitely appreciate that, and a big thank you to all of our current patrons as well. Absolutely. And Do you have merchy merch. Yeah, yes. get some merch. I got some my Yikes on Bikes shirt, and I love it. Uh, <laughs> it's really good. I love your it's Yikes really on Bikes, because you can see the shadowing on it. Yeah, That's and if awesome. you guys have any other merch suggestions i think we have a couple more in the works but if you have anything that you want to see on a shirt if you want a picture of our lovely logo on a shirt i think Mm -hmm. there's already one but maybe a different type let us know yeah and especially knowing you know after john said what he said about the direct to garment that's really cool yeah because i had been saying the wrong word this whole time and it's It's very much pressed into the shirt, so it's high-quality stuff, too. Yeah, for sure. Well, keep, Comfy. keep rating us, keep reviewing us. We love all of the positive stuff that we're getting from you guys, and we love hearing from you guys. Yeah. And look forward to Ted Bundy Part 2 and Jeff- Jeffrey Dahmer for the Patreon 2 and 3 tiers yes. this Thursday. So exciting. Okay. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Your mental health is super important to us. So we're thrilled to announce that we are sponsored by BetterHelp to support you. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can access a network of over 30,000 licensed therapists with a wide range of specialties and be linked with the perfect match. Whether it's via text, chat, or video call, you can talk to your therapist when it works for you. When it comes to your mental health, BetterHelp is a convenient and affordable option for therapy. Get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash D-A-K-P-O-D. That's BetterHelp.com slash D-A-K-P-O-D for 10% off your first month.